a number of years ago, there was a movie that came out, Much Ado About Nothing. I suspect I hadn't read the Shakespeare play when I was in high school. But I knew it was a comedy. I knew it had a good ending, but still hadn't, hadn't known the details of it. So, so uh, this, so I'm watching this play unfold, and I felt like a little kid talking to the TV. Right? I thought, no, no, don't, don't listen to that person. No, look behind you. It's just, I, I, was, I was just so sort of taken by the intrigue and the challenges of what seemed to be every moment of the movie. And then everything was all tied together nicely at the end. The, I ended up watching it a second time, and it was a completely different experience. I didn't yell at the TV. I, I, I was just sort of sitting back, cool and calm, because I knew where it was going to go. So. As you look at the Psalms, which are the way we speak to God, there's, there's all kinds, there's infinite variety to them. You have 150 of them, and you're invited to make up, using those templates, go out and go and make up your own for the rest of your life. The they usually begin, tell me what is hard on your soul. Tell me what is most difficult for you. That's the question they respond to. And then off they go. But if there is one thing that is consistent through almost every single psalm, it is the way, it is sort of your final words, if you will. The final words in a psalm are always recollections of who God is and what he has done. And sometimes being able to speak those things even in praise. So, and no, number five I have in your outlines. Don't give fear the last word. Speak your fears to the Lord, but don't allow it to be your last word of your conversation with the Lord. Psalm 56. It's all about fears. You have kept count of my tossings. You put your tears in a bottle, my, my tears in, in your bottle. They're all in your book. This is what I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Now, there are times where you can sing a hymn, and it's not in your heart. It's, some people say you know, they feel like they're lying when they sing certain hymns. But no, you're, you're, you're singing. If, if it's not in your heart yet, it's an aspiration. <laughs> you want this to be in your heart. And so sometimes these final words will be your aspiration. You know they're true even though you don't tend to experience them in a very lively way yourself. Number five, I'm just reminding you that, that fears and anxieties, they're not sinful. But they are boogers, and they are dangerous. And they do have a tendency to multiply. If you ignore them, you just sort of push them off to the side, they will just grow. So, the, the way the Lord teaches you to speak with him about your fears and anxieties, to close off one particular episode of them with words that are true about who God is, and perhaps even words that move toward thanks and to praise. We're going to be talking about depression, uh, and it's not going to be that much time, of course. Uh, but 
but what you will find is, is we will be following a somewhat similar pattern. What we've spoken about with anxiety, we will use different words perhaps, but it's really the same ideas. It's the same direction we're going to follow. So I, I think we'll be able to go a little bit more quickly through it and we'll try to add some embellishments that are a result of the struggle of depression. So, walking together with each other, with the Lord, in wisdom and in love, with this experience of depression. This is a different kind of trouble. It's, it's not universal. Not all of you are familiar with it, which creates a bit of a problem. Some of you are. More and more of you are. Like, like all these kinds of problems, they are increasing in intensity and in numbers. But they're not necessarily universal. So one of your challenges is if you have not experienced this, is to listen and to know what is it like for the person. Because, because as with all intense suffering in the Church of Christ, people who are going through suffering, they have inevitably heard callous and foolish talk by others. Inevitably. You've heard it yourself and you've probably spoken it yourself. People who are depressed, have, they're, they're no different. This is intense suffering and you will, have, you will hear the words of people who don't understand the nature of your suffering. Well, love is the way we care for others. It's gentleness, it's patience, it's humility, which means that you don't understand everything, and love, which means you're going to, you're going to know that person until your heart is moved with compassion as you understand the weight of it. So this is not a universal problem. Uh, it is an increasing problem, but if you don't experience it yourself, then you want to learn what it is like. The other, the other thing we need to keep track of is, is if you look in scripture under the word depression, if you look under fear, you'll find hundreds of passages. You can just take your concordance and you got the rest of your life to deal with scripture. With depression, you're not gonna find any passages. You're not gonna find the word depression in most books uh, most, most, most translations of scripture. And the challenge is, how can the word of Christ speak deeply to somebody who's struggling with depression when it seems as though there is a partition that exists in our culture between the experience of depression and the words of Christ? If indeed the words of Christ don't reach into depression, then we are a sorry people. We live in misery on our own until we see Christ face to face. Now that's a good ending to the story. But it's not the way the kingdom of heaven operates because the kingdom of heaven has come and we have the spirit of the living God. And he cares about the problems, especially the intense struggles of, of life. So those are some of the things that we're going to have to keep in mind as we, we walk together in wisdom and love with this struggle of depression. There's more of it. Uh, why is there more of it? Your, your thoughts will probably be as good as my own. One of the things that go with depression that doesn't tend to go with anxiety quite as much is suicidal thought. If a person is struggling with depression, they have suicidal thoughts. If a person is struggling with chronic pain that will be relentless and never go away, and they don't think it will ever go away, they will struggle with suicidal thoughts. It's not unique to depression. It goes along with any chronic suffering, but this is one of the complexities of depression for those who experience it and those who want to help. Suicide attempts are, since, you see all kinds of different statistics, since, 19, since 2019, teens and early 20s, 
since 2019, suicide attempts have gone up 35%. And there's no reason to think that they're going to plateau in some way. There's more of it. Let's take that same question we had for fear. Is depression sinful? Is depression sinful? The only way you can think it's sinful is if you believe that God requires a certain... Well, to be a Christian means you have to feel a little bit better than good. If, if so this is the average in the population of feeling good. To honor Christ, you have to feel a little bit better than everybody else. Now, as I say those words, you recognize there's, it doesn't make quite that, that much sense. But that is the intuitive way we still tend to approach, tend to approach the struggle of depression. As you listen to depression, and that, by the way, that's how we can treat it too. I had a wise friend I was speaking to just a couple weeks ago. He was talking about a friend of his who's, who deals with depression. And he was saying that the relationship is starting to get strained. It was a dear friend, a relationship being strained because this, the, the, the friend has been struggling with depression and the person I was speaking to was becoming increasingly impatient. Come on, this is the truth. You believe the truth. You can deal with these things. It, it, he, was, he was basically approaching them that way, which doesn't seem to be consistent with gentleness and patience. And Here's a wise person. Is it sinful? Here's what we know about depression. It is suffering. It is suffering. And you see what I just did? It's... I, 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 you know, the door of scripture seems to crack open a bit. The word depression, if you just have the word depression, I, just, I don't know, you're stuck with, uh, you, you find this King Saul. King Saul struggled with depression. There you go, you found it in scripture, and, and what, do you, what is it all about? Well, you better repent, because Saul was not doing good things, uh, and you have to have a harp or some kind of music. That's, that's, that's what you're stuck with. But if you open the door of suffering, then you can almost open randomly in anything, in any page in scripture, and you see scripture speaking to the sufferings of, of God's people. All of a sudden, the wilderness journeys and the way the Lord met people in the midst of their suffering as a people uh, is relevant to you. The way he met them during the exile. All of a sudden, all the Psalms, the vast majority of them, they begin with some kind of suffering. And the nice thing about a lot of the Psalms is they don't identify the specific nature of the suffering, so you don't have to have that particular problem. It's a come one, come all. If life feels like you cannot go another day or another hour, enter into this particular psalm. So that's the way that we're going to approach depression. It is, it is suffering, and it is intense suffering. And we believe that the Lord somehow speaks words of comfort, and depth and meaning uh, and hope to those who are suffering. Let's start here. Now this will sound familiar. Put your, put your heart into speech. Put depression into words. Psalm 62.8. Pour out your heart to him. Now with, with anxiety we can find words. With depression it can be a little bit more difficult. It can be hard for us to speak, less than natural for us to speak to the Lord in the midst of our anxieties, but depression, by its very nature, it makes you feel utterly isolated, and all things good have just been evacuated 
Good does not exist in the world anymore. You are on your own. So it is, it is completely unnatural for you to speak to the Lord in the midst of depression. So if you've struggled with depression or know someone who does, and they have cried out to the Lord on you, what do you do? You, you take your shoes off and you recognize you're in holy ground because you're watching the Spirit doing something extraordinary in, in somebody's life. This is not what a person does naturally. And here are some of the words, and I'll just read you. I'll, I'll just read you the words of Spurgeon, because Spurgeon is, is a nice person to read for a few reasons. One is he was very open about his own depression, uh, which, is, which is a gift to us. Also, he is not assuming that depression has something to do with his own personal sin. This is Spurgeon speaking of his own depression that seemed to plague him for most of his life. You may be surrounded with all the comforts of life. People love you. Everything is going well. And yet be in wretchedness more gloomy than death if the spirits be depressed. You may have no outward cause whatever for sorrow, yet in the mind be dejected. The brightest sunshine will not relieve your gloom. At such times you are vexed with cares, haunted with dreams, scared with thoughts. Fears tend to be so much a part of the experience of depression. You fear that your sins are not pardoned, your past transgressions are brought to remembrance, and the punishment is being meted out on you in full measure. This is as if death has taken residence in your soul. That's what this is like. He goes on. This is when he was younger. My spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child. And I did not know what I wept for. Speak to me from your heart. This is the way the Lord begins a conversation with somebody who struggles with depression. Images of weight. You just feel, you feel heavy. You feel like you don't have any energy to, to even move because this, this oppressive weight is, is on you. Pain that will not relent. Or nothing. Emptiness, which is just as bad. You feel nothing. For example, I, I, um, uh, when I'm driving home, we have two cars. My wife uses one, I use the other. Uh, when, when I'm driving home and I see the car in the driveway, if you, could, if you could do an EKG on me, you would see my heart sort of leap a little bit. Oh, Sherry's home. Can't wait. Can't wait to see her. Um, uh, what, what happens with depression is you drive home and you see Sherry's car is in the driveway and it doesn't matter whether it's in the driveway, out of the driveway, whether your house is burned down. Uh, it, it's, it all feels like the same nothingness. It's, it's, most of us, we have emotions that sort of fluctuate with, with everyday life. When things are good, you feel good. You're happy. You're happy, you're, you're happy for other people who are happy. When things are hard, they're, they're down. The nature of depression is this, though. It's, it's as, like there is this hand, I would say like a physiological hand, uh, that, that pushes your emotions down and it keeps them down. And when, when, 
when things are hard, you feel depressed, and when things are great, you still feel exactly the same way. And that's why Spurgeon, in a later quote, talks about it takes a heavenly hand to somehow, to somehow move away from this gloomy prison. Now, I, I got out of bed a little bit early today because I wanted to. I felt like it. I... And I wanted, to, I wanted to review a few other things, and I had a couple things to do, and I was looking forward to coming here. So I got out of bed. I, it got, I got out quickly. Um, now, what would it be like to, to wake up and to feel nothing? Nothing. You and I are, 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 are pushed along in life by our emotions more than we realize. If you woke up and felt absolutely nothing, it would be hard for you to get out of bed. Most of us get out of bed because we want to. We feel like it. But you can imagine, you, you understand how some people are depressed. There is nothing compelling them to get out of bed. It, it, it is misery in bed. It is misery out of bed. Nothing matters. That's, that's the experience of it. If what you'll find as a family member is you'll say, but we love you, but we love you. And the person, the person someday will, will be able to say that made a difference. Your love made more of a difference than you realize, but at the time, it, it, will, it doesn't matter if they love you or they hate you. They, 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 they're, they're with you or they leave you. It all feels the same. Anything that was once good, under the category of good, love is good. It's as if it has evacuated the world and you are left with different tones of death. That's, that's in some ways the experience of depression. It is suffering and for many people it is a violent suffering. And there you see in number two, Here's, here's where scripture begins to speak. The door opens up. And the Lord says, well, is, it, is it like this? Is it like this? Oh Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. My soul is full, this is Psalm 88, is full of trouble. My life draws near the grave. I am counted among, see all the death imagery? I'm counted as those who go down to the pit like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, who remember you no more. Do you see the, the care of the Lord? Where, pour out your heart to me. Well, it's harder than it seems. If you have ever poured out your heart to the Lord, or if you have ever opened Psalm 88 and tried to speak those words along with the psalmist, again, you, you must recognize this is the power of God. Because when you're depressed, you're not going to see anything good. You're not even going to recognize the power of God. But, but for you to participate in this psalm in any way is the work of the Spirit in you. The Lord says, is it like this? You see the it's, it's these ineffable experiences, as if they're no words. Here's the one who comes so close 
and care so much? Is it like this? Help me to understand. Uh, put word onto these things. And by the way, um, as, as, as the Lord teaches us more with the Psalms, what another layer of the Psalm is, oh, by the way, you're not alone. As you speak Psalm 88 and some of these other darker Psalms, you are actually speaking them as, as part of a chorus of, of men and women of faith who have entered into this particular psalm. And could we even say, you are not, it's not just part of a chorus, but the psalms ultimately are the psalms of the divine singer himself. These are the psalms of Jesus himself, uh, who is the author fundamentally of all the psalms. And Jesus himself, who has gone through the wilderness on our behalf, he is the one who speaks these things and sings these along with us. No, I'm doing, I'm talking about the advanced class and just a, these are some of the sweet and beautiful words that, that the Lord offers to people who are going through this kind of intense misery. I'm on your outline still. I'm just, I'm just grabbing a few things. Family and friends, this is what you do. You move closer. You move closer. When, when there is misery around you, that's what you do. When, when somebody has has lost someone in their family, somebody has lost a loved one, what does the church do? You move toward that particular person. Uh, and, and when the death has been the death of a child, you move toward that person and you stay toward that person, you surround that person for the next year or two or five or ten or the rest of their lives. That's what we naturally do in the church. When you understand the nature of depression, it's the same thing. You move toward that person. Now, this is going to be difficult for you to do because they don't seem like they care if you're with them. It's, here you are, you're with them, you speak words of hope, you speak words of encouragement, and after a while, when you speak those words over and over and over again, and it doesn't seem to make any difference, you get tired of saying the words, and you go to somebody else where it would make, might make a difference. But you are a pastor a little pea pastor. You do the work of ministry. And granted, we're limited people, and we can only move, move towards so many people. But let's say there's a depressed person, person in your orbit. Well, you move to, and a pastor, a definition of a pastor is somebody who is willing to care for your soul over the long, call, over the long course. Not just as a consultant, uh, but as a, as a person who walks with over the, the weeks and the months ahead. And is it any surprise, again, as asking, I think there was a survey around 400 people responded, what has helped you in the midst of your depression? And there are things like this. People who offered to help. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sound like the way people help in any kind of misery. People who offered to help in very tangible ways, and didn't even ask. Brought a meal over, cut the grass, asked if, uh, asked to take the dog for a walk, whatever it might be. People who, who thought creatively of how to, to love. That's one of the things they said. The second, it's the people who are willing to give a little bit of time. So for example, you take a meal over, it's, it, what people responded to, they, they certainly appreciated the meal, but 
But what they appreciated more was you hung out with them during their meals. <laughs> you perhaps ate with them. And, and you were just with them. You were just with them. Sometimes you'd ask a question, give me one way to pray for you. Sometimes you would, you would ask, could you help me to understand a little bit more of what life is like for you now, today? But it's the, the, the willingness to just simply have time together. Other things they said was, was people who, who bring life to them, even when, they, even when it, it seems as though the life is being refused. When, I'm, when I say the life, I'm thinking capital L, life. Here's a person, death is all over the place, and, and life itself is, is too good to be true. They can't even imagine it. But what do you do with the body as a body of Christ as you move toward people who are feeling like they're in the throes of death? You, you speak of life. You, you read of the life to them. You ask them how you can pray uh, that the life would, would, they would be able to see, be like. Christ himself, with their eyes of faith. You, you're going to pray with them. You're going to pray for them. You'll read scripture to them. You'll read, you'll read something that, that brought life to your own soul that particular morning. So with this kind of ministry, what do you do? You, you move toward, and if you don't know how to help, what do you do? You, you ask. So there's a simplicity to the way we care for each other. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to know the ins and outs of depression and know what is the best thing to say. If you don't know what to say, humility suggests there are times where you don't know what to say and you simply can ask. What, can you imagine anything that we could do that would be helpful? You simply ask. And the person is, the person is, is blessed that you would even ask. For, for your advice, for, the, for advice in such things. Now, one of the things that you will hear, especially with depression, you hear it in anxiety as well, but, but with intense suffering tends to come the, the strategies of Satan. So, so, Satan looks for vulnerability. That's, that's what he does. When everything is going well, he doesn't need to do anything because, because when things are going well, then we're in precarious situations because we can think everything's going well and we, we're not needy people anymore. So, so Satan doesn't have to use his strategies at that particular time. But those who are going through abject suffering, you can be sure that there will be lies that are very tempting for them to believe because think of Satan as a horrible friend. Uh, where he comes in, he comes in the door in the midst of misery, and he, he says, oh, you, you feel like you're a miserable wretch? You feel like you're a horrible sinner? Well, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Is, is life hopeless? Is, is tomorrow going to be the same as today, and the next day the same as, is the same as then? Well, yeah, you're right. It's, it is hopeless. Nothing matters? Yeah, you're, you're right. Nothing matters. 
Do right, do wrong, Ecclesiastes comes to think. It doesn't matter. You anticipate, you can be confident that a person who has any kind of suffering, but depression being one of those kinds, you can be persuaded that there is spiritual warfare and a person is believing lies. They, they are persu- there, there, there is no such, there's no such thing as, as, as something good out ahead. Life is hopeless, they're worthless, and nothing will ever change. Now, how you offer this to your own soul or to another person's soul, it, it's, it's done with wisdom and, and love. Uh, but it's something like this. Um, we, we need a different way of living. More often than not, we live by our emotions. Feel good, everything's fine. Feel bad, everything's bad. But, but in the midst of depression, we have no choice but to walk by faith. That's the way we're called to live. In depression, you cannot live any other way. What do we mean by faith? You can think of faith in all kinds of different ways. One is, is to live by faith means we submit to the very words of God above all else. His words have authority. He speaks to the wind, and the wind responds and the wind doesn't respond to a whole lot of other people's voices. It might seem counterintuitive, but, but the call to the way of life is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord has all kinds of different features to it, but part of the fear of the Lord is God is God, and he doesn't lie Sometimes Jesus will, will punctuate things verily, verily. In contrast to everybody else around you, I will not speak lies. I will only speak the truth to you. Sometimes, sometimes to confess. I realize I'm saying something very advanced and very mature for, for, for depression. Uh, but desperation will, will drive you to extreme measures. To, to consider a time of confession. Lord, we can hear, we can hear, well, Augustine, I might have written it in your outline. Augustine said something like this. Um, Lord, don't let the darkness speak to me. Lord, don't let the darkness speak to me. Uh, because I can believe the darkness. May your words be words of life that I don't feel and experience, but I believe you because you yourself have spoken. That's that is the only way that you can live in the midst of this kind of misery. It's the only way. Of course, it's the way we all are called to live. What does it mean to live by faith? Second Corinthians chapter 4. It's not talking about, it's not using the word depression, but it's relevant to the hardships of all life. We don't lose heart, though, though we're wasting away. Our hearts can be renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, by the way, Paul, he says light and momentary, but he's only talking about it in terms of, 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 of like a, a scale. The glories of what are to follow, they make these things light. 
Paul is in 2 Corinthians, and, and life is miserable. It is utterly miserable. Uh, he, is, he boasts sometimes about his afflictions. He wants you to know about them. So when he says light and momentary, he's not trying to, to suggest that our, our, our afflictions are not that big a deal. But they somehow are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then he goes and says this, we look not to the things that are seen, or sensed, if you will. We look not to the things that we apprehend by our senses, but we look to those things that are unseen, that are eternal, that we apprehend by listening through ears of faith to the very words of God. That's, that is the calling for those who grapple with depression. It's, it's some of the, some of the uh, old heroes of faith, they have used the, the illustration of spectacles, of, of glasses for faith. And Hebrews 11 says that. Without glasses, you can see the creation. Sort of. Um, but, but when you put your glasses on, the glasses of the very words of God, you see the God of creation. You see a depth that you never saw before. How can, how can somebody struggling with depression humble themselves before the Lord, walk by the fear of the Lord, because, he, he, because God himself has spoken. You see, we're talking about the same kinds of things we spoke about with anxiety. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes so we can see. But it's eyes of faith that we want. It's the second king six kinds of eyes. Help us to see clearly because we live by your very words. That is the bread that we eat. That is, that is our life itself. Does he care? Does he care? You see, we're going back to anxiety and we're just saying there's a template here that goes to so many of human struggles. Does he care? Depression speaks a resounding no. And if he does care, it doesn't make any difference. But somehow, the love of the right person, it makes all the difference. And we, we, what do we do? We disavow the lie. And we set off to have confidence this important widow, in a sense, our neighbor, this coming to Jesus over and over again, we must know your love for us, and we're not going to give up until we're sure of it. That's your friend, according to the promises of God. You see, I'm speaking with a kind of urgency with this, um, because it's because you're, you're, looking, you're looking at the very face of death with this, and, and there is yeah, there, there's gradual growth. But there is a kind of urgency in the midst of, of this kind of suffering. Does he care? Does he care? Prove it to me. What's a passage that has persuaded you that he cares? Uh, for example, um, John 6.37 says, it's been good for my own soul. Those who come to him, he'll never turn away. Never turn away. You feel like somehow you are unworthy or you have been turned away. Here is the truth. This is not, let's prepare ourselves to hear. These are the very words of God. Those who come to him, he will never turn.
turn away. Yeah, of course, wiggle your finger if there's any sign of life to this. And if there's no sign of life, what do you do? You pray. You, you pray knowing that this is what the Spirit is going to give to you and to the person you're talking with who might be struggling with depression. Or if you're struggling with it, you know the Spirit will give you this. And the Spirit is pleased to, to, to give his gifts in response to the prayers of his people. So ask somebody to pray for you. If, if the love of Christ is meaningless to you in the midst of your depression, ask somebody to pray. Then ask another person to pray and ask the whole church to pray. Uh, by the time you get to the whole church, your finger is going to be moving. Yes, I, they're, they're, they're signs of life. Yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Does he care? Is he strong? Is he strong? Won't, we talked about the, the storm before. We could revisit the storm. Or we could revisit the story in the same context in Matthew 8 where the centurion is our hero. And who's the centurion? He, he, he was needy and his servant was sick. He was the one who said, do you have enough authority? You have authority. All you have to do is say the word. You don't have to come into my house. What can we do? We can pray that we would know Christ in the way the centurion did. He's, again, he's, he's among the heroes of faith, of, with the, the woman with the bleeding, uh, the woman who touched Jesus. People who are identified as illustrations of faith, these are our heroes. We can pray that the spirit who is on that centurion would be the spirit who is, is on us. That we would see that he is the God of authority and we listen to him. One of the things that some of you, uh, in, your, in your church services, there's a kind of liturgy. There's truth that is spoken. Every Sunday, it's spoken. It might be spoken in somewhat different ways. But it is spoken, and, and it's spoken for good reason. In Hebrews 4.14, the writer of Hebrews says this, We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold fast our confession. Now, it's not confessing sin here. It's, it's the things that you believe. What is it that you believe? Imagine you're struggling with depression, getting help from someone to begin to write a confession. What is it that you believe? There's, and if you want help, you can look at all kinds of catechisms and confessions that have been put together before us. There's, there's one that is especially, especially sweet. What is your only comfort in life and death? You, many of you know this. That I am not my own. That's now this, it goes much farther than that. But can, can, you, can you imagine having a liturgy? You wake up every morning, depressed or not, and what's my only comfort in life and death? I am not my own. Now, for some of you struggling with depression, it's, it's not this magic key, but it does reorient the person to realize that they do have a mission, to, that they may want to die, but that they have a mission today to seek the kingdom of Christ. And it just so happens that extreme weakness tends to be some of the most potent ways 
that, that the Lord enlarges his church and deepens his church. I'm not my own, but I belong, body and soul and life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who is fully, I'm just giving you an example here, this is the Heidelberg Catechism. He's fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. What we're looking for are, is a certain simplicity. We don't know why people struggle with depression. There's something physiological about it. There can be other contributors that, 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 that intensify it and shape it, but, but we don't know why. Yet, the nice thing about being in God's house is we don't have to know why. Job didn't know why. But we can still hear the words of Christ and give the words of Christ in the, in the, in the way that they're exactly suited to our heart, even without understanding. There's a simplicity to what we're doing right now. It's you move toward, or you, 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 you force feed life. You force feed life. The depressed person has no appetite. They, so what do you do? You, just like a sick person, my, my, my mother-in-law is in this, this kind of situation right now. She, has, she doesn't have an experience of hunger. So she's got to eat. So she's got to force feed. So we call her at certain times and say, Mom, you've got to eat. Right now, I don't want to eat. Well, it doesn't matter what you want to do. Your feelings are not an accurate reflection of what your body needs. You're going to force feed something right now. What are you going to eat? That's, that's what we're doing. You don't have to be smart to do that with your mother-in-law. It's, there's a simplicity in the way that we care. Uh, and if you're, if you're the struggler, there's a simplicity in the way that the Lord speaks to your own soul. It's, it's in the midst of spiritual warfare, we want to remember the truth. And, and the truth is going to be, it's, you know, there's a stage when children are very young where, what is it, the, the stage before object permanence, where, how, how does it go? When, and the, way to, the way to entertain a, a child when they're younger is, is to say, oh, here, see this? And then you put it behind your back. And, and then you reintroduce it. And it's been magic. And something that was not existing, now it's existing again. At some point, they, they know, they grow up, and they realize when you put this behind your back that you hit it behind your back, and they start looking back there. It's as if depression, it, it, it takes us to that place of spiritual, before spiritual object permanence, where we hear the truth, and maybe we are, are yeah, okay, I, I hear something, and then we forget it immediately, okay, because, because the pain is so loud. And then we hear the, the refrain of the Old Testament, remember, remember. Uh, the, perhaps the most prominent command in Scripture or encouragement in Scripture, remember, remember. And, and to develop these liturgies as a community. To sim fairly simple. You read this in the morning or you call the person and you force feed them. I'm going to read this to you. It's going to take you 30 seconds. I'm going to read this to you. And, and, and then I'm going to pray, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll do the same thing. It's, it's, it's 
powerfully see clearly when the world is utterly darkened? How can we see the light? It is a community event for the day. If you're struggling with depression, find somebody you think might be wise and compassionate and ask them to pray. That would be an example of the power of God working within you. The, the last section that I have in your outline is, is if, if you're depressed or you're walking with a person who's depressed, um, you're a normal person and you have normal struggles. As those struggles come up, what do you do? You bring them to Jesus. Depression can have all kinds of attachments to it. Sometimes it can have an angry attachment to it. Uh, a person just seems like they're on edge all the time. Where when you talk about Christ, they get angry at you. You stop talking about those kinds of things. Well, if somebody gets angry at you for talking about Jesus, it's it, humility. You don't have to be smart. But humility says, hold it. I don't know where else to turn. I don't know where else we can go for words of life. So it seems as though it seems as though you're angry. <laughs> and is, are you angry, or is it just is it just hopelessness that's talking? Is there is there a better way that I can help you to force feed? Is there a better way that, that together we can consider words of life? That, that's the kind of things that you're going to do. But sometimes you might find a person who's angry, angry at the Lord, and angry at other people. What do you do? You, you go into James 4, which is the most extended passage on anger. And you pray it, and you walk through it together. And you're always saying we, because the better you know somebody, the more their struggle is going to be very much like your own. If you walk with a person, you might, might find a person who feels guilty. I'll tell you this one story that, that is a rare story, but it's a good story person who had been struggling with depression her entire life, she was probably 45, 48 at this point, uh, suicidal depression, number of suicide attempts that she'd had. Uh, small community gathered around her. Uh, one of the questions was, what happens? When did, when did you notice depression sort of emerging in your life? And most of the time, depression has a mind of its own. It doesn't need any reason to emerge. But in her, she identified a story that, that emerged during a time where she was sort of coming to Christ, if you will. Uh, she, was, she was aware of Jesus, and in friends who were giving her Jesus, she was, she was moving toward Christ. It was also during a time that she got pregnant. She got pregnant right, right before that. And the people who were around her then were people who were saying, well, she get an abortion. It's going to be such an inconvenience in her life. And she was, Against her own conscience, she got an abortion. Her depression, she said, began soon after that. What are you going to do? You don't, you don't have to know why she's depressed. There are mysteries here, but you at least know here's a person who's struggling with guilt. And the guilt went something like this. I'm so sorry for what I've done. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, how can you pay God back for an abortion? How can you be really, really, really sorry? So sad. Well, you, you take your own life. 
That's, that's a way that you can show you're really serious about, about your guilt. We've talked together and, and um, you can imagine where the Spirit took us was something like this. You need to repent. But not of an abortion. You repented of that probably 10,000 times. You need to repent with the very thought that you have to earn God's forgiveness. That somehow, if you can be a better human being, a better human being in this sense is you feel really, really, really bad about it. If you feel really bad about it, then you will earn somehow God's, the reluctant God's willingness to forgive you. Okay, he's, he's rolling his eyes. Finally, finally the person is really serious about this. You need to repent of believing that, that the Lord turns us away until we're good and really, really sorry. You have, to, you have to repent of the very thought that he is the reluctant one to forgive. You have to repent of the very thought that somehow we contribute to his forgiveness of sins. Which, which, which takes away from his very glory. The, the, the one part of the beauty of God is he forgives our sins. No other made-up God forgives sins. You've got to earn it. You've got to show you're really sorry and you have to do all the right sacrifices. Only our God forgives not because of us. He, can, he forgives for his name's sake. And, and she, she began to see essentially her works righteousness, her legalism and to be able to rest in Christ alone rather than Christ plus her own, her own feeling especially bad. Here's a situation where a person, her depression changed almost immediately at that point. It was the weight of her own sin that, that was part of her depression. Now, I give you that as a very rare illustration. Um, and whether, whether, whether it affects a person's depression or not, what we're identifying is if, if we walk together, we just work through the stuff of life. And in the stuff of life, what do you find? You find anger. You find, you find guilt. You find shame galore, which is not going to be our topic right now. You find failures. You find one loss after another. And, and your job is how, how can we break that partition between the misery that we experience in the beautiful words of Christ and whatever it is that that person is struggling with, that's what we pray. And we keep at it until, until the little finger says, oh yes, I get a little twitch. I, I know something, I, I can see it. I know something of that. Well, we're going to move from here to time of question and answers. And I realize there's so many other things we can speak of. Treatments I think I have and but, but I at least, I at least want you to have a certain confidence, or a certain, and a certain boasting, if you will, that, that there, there are more to the words of life that God has given us for our everyday struggles than we, than we know. And, and digging them up is not necessarily going to be finding something new. It's, it's taking those things that are clear, just right there, just easy pickings in Scripture. And and asking the Spirit to implant them in our souls. We're going to take a, we're going to break, uh, and, and I think we'll, 
we'll talk about these things together.